Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Sporting Global Podcast. And today I'm here with a very good friend and my former professor from the University of San Francisco, Dr. Noah Aga. And Noah, it's a pleasure having you here. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so great to come back and have a conversation with you. Likewise, Nola. And and for those of you, you know, that are tuning in, uh, you know, if you want key tips from leaders like Noah every week, make sure to like this video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and we will have people from all over the world sharing their tips and insights. But Nola, first and foremost, I mean, like, I gotta say, I miss miss California, you know, especially now being <laughs> being in cold Norway over the last two years and not being able to travel. How's, how's life in, uh, in, in San Francisco and California these days? You know, it's really good. I We are certainly at that point in the pandemic where things are changing and so people's attitudes are changing. Yeah. But California is, of course, California, which is beautiful and fun. <laughs> a diverse, excellent place of, I don't know, just a mix of a variety of people that are always entrepreneurial and always trying new things at the same time, kick back and relaxed. So anyway, I grew up here. It's, it's the perfect environment for me. It's that great combination of of, I don't know, people who are just looking forward, forward focused, but also relaxed at the same time. So we yeah. gotta get here. We gotta get you uh, in California for a while when it's safe. Yeah, no, like it is definitely one of the first places I'm gonna go to once once it opens up. Like San Francisco is kind of like my second home, and uh, and I miss that. And I think you're pretty spot on. It sort of like has that nice mix of like that, you know, chill vibe but also that entrepreneurial and innovation innovative spirit and i think that sums up california and in particular san francisco in in a very good nutshell and uh, i must uh, must admit missing you know the the lands and you know one of my favorite trails you know going there and uh I, I guess maybe in the podcast I have to uh, add like some photos and maybe some stuff from this so people know what we're actually talking about. But uh, but nonetheless, you know, um, I, I think, you know, we have to kind of like start a little bit from the beginning, you know, of like how did your journey essentially begin in the sport industry? And I guess as well, like how weird is sort of like your passion for educating, you know, sports also start you know how does that how, how did that come to life that's a great question so i think like most people i started or my passion started because i was an athlete i competed i was a runner i i loved what i did i loved being around sport i loved being on the track and so that felt like a very natural place for me it was a passion that i had so i went off to school thinking i was going to be a sport medicine doctor and studied exercise physiology and very quickly realized that wasn't what I wanted to do. Right. And green exercise physiology very quickly realized there was no jobs that I could get with that degree that I really wanted. Mm. And so that's when my journey really took a shift. And that's when I discovered the management side of sport. Right. I discovered that actually in the USF sport management program, I decided to do a master's degree in sport management. And during the program, I took a class in econ and finance. And I, I read two books that changed my life. And those were books that were focused on, well, like I said, econ and finance. And, yeah. and I, I just realized that light bulb went off in my head and I said, this is what I want to do forever. And partially because it was the first time that I saw math being applied to sport. And so this right. last century, this was last millennia, this was like yeah. the 1990s. And yeah. so it was before Moneyball, it was before analytics really were playing a right. really large role yeah. in sport business. Yeah. And so there was very few applications at that time of anything 
computational or, or mathematical in sport. And that's what I wanted to do. I just, and I don't think I realized it until I read it and I saw it, but I'd always loved math. And so I saw that and was like, oh, if I can do econ and apply it to sport, then that sounds perfect. And so that's really where my career kind of took off from there. Yeah. yeah. So that was important. And it, it's interesting, you know, you ask about being in the sport industry and you ask about education. And I think that's a really important distinction. So yeah. in some ways, I almost don't feel like higher education is part of the sport industry. Of course, I teach about the sport industry. Sure. And so that's kind of separate. So what I did is I worked for a while in econ and finance in the sport world and loved what I did, but there wasn't a lot of full-time jobs. And so mm. I went away and I worked in international business for a while. And when I came back to the U.S., I realized that I really missed sport and I really wanted to do more of it. And again, yep. still pre-money ball. And so at that time, it was it was like, well, what do I do? I'd always felt like I needed more computational skills. And so a PhD made a lot of sense. Mm. At the same time, I always wanted to be a teacher when I was a kid. Yeah. Mom was a teacher. My heroes when I were growing up were my teachers. All the people I looked up to were my teachers. Right. And so it was a really natural fit that yeah. a PhD would allow me to get these more computational skills to do more advanced things that I wanted to do. At the same time, uh, being a teacher, because for those of you that don't know, when you have a PhD and you work in a university, you basically have two jobs. That's to teach and it's to research. Right. So what I realized is both of my passions could be achieved if I went back and got a PhD. Yeah. So, so I, I guess like you, you talked a lot about um, sort of like that, that, that light bulb, you know, sort of like one was obviously, you know, okay, I want to work in sports. And like, I, I think everyone that, you know, um, are in the sport industry is like start as, as either like a fan or like an, an athlete or at some point it's sort of like, okay, at some point it shifts, you know, from being like a fan to like a professional. And I guess like, that's one of the key things of the program as well. And I guess that's sort of like, was an eye opener for you. Um, as well, going back to like, okay, now I could finally like, you know, take that econ and finance towards sports. And, and as you said, sort of like, already at that point, starting to utilizing, you know, the, the, the financial numbers and, and structure up towards sports. And you, you know how important that is today. So I guess like you're part of that process though, on the journey. And I guess that, that, that must kind of be exciting as well, you know, to be, to be part of. It is, it is. And I think anytime somebody discovers what they really want to do, when they discover their passion, yeah. like that's just the moment where after that, the decisions that you make in terms of your career become much easier because yeah. you you have a sense of what your path is going to be. And before that, it can feel very meandering mm -hmm. in terms of maybe they, I hear a lot of times from students, oh, I like, I like these five things. And, you know, they'll rattle off five completely different things. Right. It's totally great to love five different things. I love way more than five different things. <laughs> At some point, you're going to find that one thing where you're like, oh, I really, really like this yeah. one. And so until you find it, you sometimes need to meander and try a whole bunch of different options. Right. And I mean, like, yeah, and then that's part of the journey too, as, as well as you said of like, okay, you, you, you did like, you know, the, the, the education that you did like before the sport management program and said like okay that's what I, you thought you wanted to do and like once you're in there as well you sort of like realize well actually that's not for me and i think like a sport management and if we just talk about that in general it's like it's just like a pool of opportunities right and a lot of people mm -hmm. are like you know especially in the u.s like okay it's it's professional teams or college athletics and then there's like so much more in the scope of sports and sport management that you can do and and i guess like a lot of the, the job here is to like how do we open open those those eyes and um and i guess like you know from 
you now though that have been part you know as a professor as as part of the USS sport management program for for over 10 years now you know like it's a, it's a nice uh, staple to have in your belt I, I would guess and 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 if you could like i mean that's probably this is probably like a super hard question but but at the same time i thought it that is important if you like what are the key highlights and experience you witness i guess from your students along the way because i think you've been in a very fascinating time uh, of sports you know especially now as well with the pandemic and is there something like that you like these are some key moments that i that, that i remember you know from these these 10 years oh wow that's really hard um <laughs> actually really really tough in some ways i feel like it's asking me to pick like my favorite kid you know i can't right. do that it's not allowed you're not yeah. allowed to have a favorite when you've got kids <laughs> and in some ways it's not you're not allowed to have a favorite when you've got students because there's so many and yeah. we have these cohorts of students and, and we definitely love everything that they've done. But some key highlights, I mean, they certainly always revolve around those students and the experiences that they have and the successes that they have. Mm-hmm. And they've been all over the place. I, I'll i say generically, it's whenever yeah. a student gets their dream job. You know, they, they graduate and they've always, they've had their eye on a target and they've been working towards it and working towards it. And when they reach that goal, it's just so fulfilling to see that they've, they've really achieved what they wanted to. Right. There's been amazing collaborations that we've had when Super Bowl 50 was hosted in the San Francisco Bay Area. We had an enormous pool of students that were working, volunteering, and interning with the organization. And so they were all able to jumpstart careers and events and event management. They were able to get an enormous amount of experience. Right. We, uh, the students that are currently working for the Olympics, of course, you know, the, the 2020 and now 2021 Olympics have been quite a roller coaster. I mean, in a large event always is, but they've had an additional level of complication. Yeah. Students working for the Beijing 2022 Olympics in, in um, next year, actually, it's, it's shocking that it's so soon. We got thrown off with this whole delayed summer. <laughs> uh, we've got students who have been authors and filmmakers and have gone on to get their PhDs. And, and then, of course, entrepreneurs, the students who come back two or three years, years later, and they say, hey, can I have a conversation? I've got this idea. And we'll sit down and we'll talk through something and we'll work through a project. Uh, you know, so like that's amazing. Uh, foundations, a lot of st- students have gone out and started nonprofits and foundations that support youth sports. So I don't know, are those highlights or is that just an enormous list? I'm not sure, but there's so many to name and it's it's those successes that are that are really the highlight. Yeah, I mean, like it's, I, I would definitely call that highlights for sure because there's such variety, you know, and, and, and I guess like you've been seeing it kind of like, over the 10 years that like all the different paths and journeys that 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 your your students you know ha, has taken i guess that must be a, a quite a fun experience and journey to be part of uh, and just like witnessing that and, and say like hey i was part of that and and could help you know like help them in that direction so i miss that that's sort of like the joy i guess in a sense of being a, a teacher and a professor uh if I'm, if I'm not wrong um but Obviously, you know, if we dive a little bit into like some of the classes that you're you're teaching right now, uh, one of them, of course, being the uh, quantitative analysis, you know, which is one of the first classes in the program. And then, of course, uh, I guess one of the last one in the program as well is the strategic management. And, and I guess like if you could give us an overview of like what are some of the key elements that you're covering in each class and and I guess like touch a little bit into the previous question of how is it to see sort of like the growth 
of your students from like that early class to like when they're reaching the strategic management because I that that's if I'm not mistaken almost like yeah you know six seven eight months difference in in time span so a lot of happens in in, in six seven months absolutely so let's break it down let's start with the quantitative analysis so this is a, a really fun course actually just finished teaching it a couple days ago it's really about quantitative reasoning and the reason is most people especially from an american background and, and maybe globally as well but most people are afraid of numbers they've had bad experiences in math class they've had horrible math teachers and they see something with numbers and they freeze or they yeah. stress out and it just it's something they dislike inherently there's just something inside that, that makes them uneasy Right. My goal in eight weeks is to turn that upside down and to see if I'm able to not be afraid of numbers and not hate numbers. But the reality is this, that the students did informational interviews. So across, they did 66 different informational interviews in that eight week period, total, total among the whole class. 97% of the people they talked to who work in the sport industry in every possible career that you could think of, 97% said that they use numbers at work all the time. There you go. All the time being kind of a good vague phrase, but it, sure. every job is different. Sure. So even if you're doing logistics for, for game operations, you're looking at, well, what happened last time we ran this promotion? Which gate should we open? How many bobbleheads do we need? Uh, you know, people are looking at budgets. People are analyzing data. It, it, regardless of what your job is, you're doing something with data. And that's really eye-opening for students to realize they're going to have to use numbers. They don't have to love them. Right. But they to know how to use them they have to know how to interpret them uh, they so we start from from kind of like step one which is learning how to analyze the numbers ourselves right. and then interpret it and then make decisions from it and that's the really the critical part because you're going to have to make be making decisions based on numbers for the rest of your career um, but then fun to like what if somebody's giving you numbers how do you how do you then question them well like where did these numbers come from right so, can you really understand enough of the back end process because you've done the back end process to when you're a manager and somebody's handing you reports? Yeah. Can you really make sure that the reports they're handing you that you're about to make a decision to base your career off of? Right. Good. <laughs> so we really walked through that whole gamut, and it's it's amazing to see the transformation in in such a short period of time. And so it's really a skill set. It's a it's an ability that somebody can walk out of the classroom with. Right. Now, as you mentioned, strategic management is much later. For some cohorts, it's a, it's a year later. Later for others, it's it's closer to eight months. Yep. Yep. And for those students, strategic management is completely different. Strategic management is is about. I always I use the, the analogy of a chessboard. You, you know, when you're it's a game. Yeah. And you're way up above it, and you're looking down on it, and you're seeing how those pieces are moving. How are people competing? How are businesses competing with each mm. other? How are they moving to outmaneuver each other? How are they trying to strike each other down? But in order to understand the game, you have to be above it and not yeah. in it. And so by in it, I mean, often we go to our work every day and our jobs and we just we go through the minutia. We check our email, we click buttons, we, you know, we do whatever our, the minutia of our job is. Right. We rarely forget to take that step back and think about well, what's the whole company doing? What's the business doing? And so now this is thinking like managers. This is thinking like CEOs. And that's a really important skill set to have because, uh, you know, if, if you want to be a manager at some point, you have to be able to look at a business like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it's, I it's totally different. 
<laughs> I can't relate a lot, um, especially as uh, the entre entrepreneurial journey has been, uh, you know, diving there, there. There's a lot of, you know, um, sometimes you get so tunnel vision, you know, into like what you're doing that you got to remember to take a step back and, and see like, okay, but where, mm -hmm. where did this, you know, fit in and does it actually make sense for whatever goal or vision that company has? And, and I mean, like without making this, you know, too personal to Sporting Global, we, I mean, like for us, it's like we say this with every initiative we do, it has to fit within our pillars. If it doesn't fit in within those, it doesn't make sense for us to do it. So it always have to make sense in, in that aspect. And every, every people that are with us, they know that, okay, whatever initiative you come up with, make sure that it fits within those pillars, because then there's a larger chance for us to actually go that route. And then, I mean, like, it, it, it's sort of like, what is your ultimate goal, right? Where do you map that out? And it, it is, as you say, you have to sort of like predict a little bit the future. And in order to do that, you have to sort of like have that, what are we going to call it? Like skybox, skybox view <laughs> over the mat. And then and sort of like see where the, the pieces are going. So I think that's a really great analogy and, uh, right. and a very important. And, you know, it, it gets easier for people to do this. So as they're, as they're moving through educational journey and they're getting more and more experienced in management and business, that's also where that fun transformation happens from, from just knowing what skills are, marketing skills or leadership skills or quantitative skills to be able to start thinking like a manager. So once you build that skill set, then you can kind of start, it's easier to build up into that platform and right. to think bigger picture. <laughs> no, for sure. And, and I guess, um, although, uh, you know, if you look at the sort of like the strategic management class, I mean, like from, from my experience as well, um, it tends to be a little bit entrepreneurial, I guess, in a sense. I don't know if that's still the case, but I guess, but I guess that. Um, and how do you, I guess, cater the classes for the rapid changes that are happening in the startup world? Because I mean, like the decisions there has tends to be, has to be done quite fast, you know, because the ecosystem and, and, and the startup life cycle, right? It's like, you know, you're running out of time, you're running out of money. There's always, you know, fast paced elements going on. And, and I guess like, how are you catering that with, in terms of the changes, especially during the pandemic and with online classes for you guys too, which I guess was a rapid, rapid change that had to happen. Yeah, there's a lot there to unpack. So let's see, <laughs> starting with, you know, what does it mean to, to stay on top of these rapid changes? And I think the first is always starting with news. So if you're really passionate about the sport industry, you should be connected to some sort of sport business news and not, you know, it's stay up with the scores, whatever you want to do, but that's very different than staying up with sport business news because the business news is going to show you that, that things are changing every single day. There's new partnerships, there's new acquisitions, there's new mergers, there's new divestitures, there's companies going out of business, there's bankruptcies. And, and that is, that's real business. That happens all the time. Yeah. So what the pandemic did is of course, um, it, it disrupted business models across the globe and business models, how a company makes money, who their customers are and how they're making money. And so we, we I think, most people are interested in sport management often will start by thinking about professional sport. Well, when you think about what they did, their obviously their customers couldn't show up in person, but a lot of their other business parts of their business model were fully functional. The media mm -hmm. contracts, their sponsorships, they were still earning money. Now, if you're working in professional sport, you're like, no, 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 it was a, a disaster. Well, right. it was in the sense that, you know, you that the sponsors were receiving less value for what they paid. And so there's lots of make goods right. that to happen. Uh, media contracts had to be renegotiated. Labor contracts had to be negotiated. 
But in reality, there wasn't an enormous shift in their business model. But and so again, it's all about perspective. You know, if you're again, if you're working in it, you were like, of course, it was a nightmare. Everybody <laughs> had to adapt, though. But they still had the exact same customer groups that they did before. They had the fans that were willing to come in in person or to pay to to be on a Zoom. They had their sponsors. They had their media contracts. They just had to have a different way of doing business. Right. It was very different than the the disruption that of the pandemic that fostered new innovation. Right. And these were the companies that came in and said, "Oh, people can't go to the gym. Let me make an at-home solution, or let me make an app, a fitness app, where somebody pays me, you know, ten dollars a month, and they can get unlimited, you know, I don't know, aerobics classes or you know, something like that." Right. So much innovation on yeah. that front, and so that's what we're looking at in terms of, and, and again, that could be app, it could be service-based businesses, it could be the physical businesses, the Peloton. Mm-hmm. And all of their competitors that that started launching new products, sure. physical products for people to work out at home. Yep. And of course, now that the pandemic is ending, uh, those businesses are starting to lose sales. And we're because we're starting to see gyms reopen. Right. That staying on top of what's going on because business changes every single day, and you have to just completely be on top of it. No, hundred percent. And I mean, like, um, and and how do you sort of like cater that? I guess to the classes in strategic management and making sure that, okay, um, that, 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 that we talk about startup ecosystem, right? I think like a lot of the things that we focus on when we're, when we're visiting universities and, and talking for their students is because everyone was like freaking out about opportunities, lack of opportunities. Uh, when, when the pandemic sort of like hit and everyone's like, well, but there's no games there's no this, everything stopped. And as I like, but, look at all the sectors that are booming, you know, like you look at the e-sport industry, like nothing really changed that they elevated, you know, they just kept going because all their events was pretty much digital anyways. Right. Of mm-hmm. course they were like some in, in physical, you know, event places, but then they're like, you know, startups coming up, you know, from all over the place and, and, and disrupting and changing, you know, sectors. And I guess like, how do you, open that mindset for this for the students that were sort of like okay i'm gonna work for you know uh 49ers <laughs> and there's no events right a lot of it is trying to open people's minds to what it actually means to work in the sport industry i, I would say the vast majority of, of of people when you say the word sport industry imagine professional sport right there's so 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 much more to the to the to the sport industry, and it, it can be anything. So we we think of professional sport as sport production. You're producing an event, mm-hmm. something happening on the field. Sure. But that could be college sport. It can be rec sport. It can be youth sport. It could be fitness. It could be uh, what we call sport for good. So using the production of sport for all sorts of social benefit. Yep. But every single one of those and any any of those businesses have governing bodies. Uh, they have facilities that they work in. They have the, the physical goods that they need in order to play their sport. Yep. They have the media that broadcasts their sport or covers it. They have, and, and this is where most of the, actually most sport businesses are on actually services, agencies, service providers. So ticketing companies, you can't, at any of those live sporting events, those produced right. events you can't have without tickets. Um, yeah. Most of them need concessions. So these service providers, marketing and advertising and public relations, and then, of course, the other really big and growing industry is, is I mean, I, I can call it sport tech, but it's it's really about this combination of how can you use technological solutions to improve any of the processes that we're doing. Right. And that's 
I mean, that's the physical monitors. It's the anything that's bio-related that we're putting. You know, we've got like swimming goggles that where you can, you know, it can digitize like your heart rate and the number of laps you've yeah. done. It's just right there in front of your eyeballs. You know, like, did you know those existed? If you didn't, guess what? Like there's that equivalent for every single sport on earth. And there's probably 10 different companies that are working on every single thing. And that's just an example, right? And yeah. so the number of apps, the number of physical things that we're doing, there's so much innovation and there's so much change. And they're tiny companies that you've never heard of until you've suddenly heard of them. Like they're right. there for five and 10 years working on these solutions and you know, and they're at the cusp of nobody knows they exist. And then suddenly somebody buys a Peloton bike and everyone's like, oh, I've heard of this thing called Peloton. Well, guess what? It was there for a long time before that. You just didn't know about it. And you know, same with the goggles, it's the same with your wearable technologies. And, and that's the really cool part also about entrepreneurship. So yeah. kind of go back to your point of like, how do you bring people's mindset into this? It's just the more you talk about these companies, uh, the more people start to, to think about what that journey is like. And I guess that's strategic management 101. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. So uh, obviously, I think we've been touching a lot of, on some of these subjects already, but, but we have to talk a little bit about, about entrepreneurship, about um, you know, building a foundation. And, and of course, like what it means being an entrepreneur. And I want to take you a little bit back to... Um, you know, after I graduated and uh, I guess like a year or so after I came back from my from my first uh, business trip, I guess, for Sporting Global to, to Cali on my research, market research trip. And uh, and then we had a, a nice lunch, you know, and we were, we were driving back in, a, in, in the car and uh, and we were talking a lot about like what an entrepreneur is. And I, I wanted to like you like. I wanted to just hear from you, like right now, like wh what is an entrepreneur for you? It's a big word, isn't it? It means an awful lot of things. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I always like to point out is when we hear about entrepreneurs, or if you read about them in you know newspaper articles that that highlight successful companies and successful entrepreneurs, right? You've heard about them is that those people have persisted. Right, the, it's it's all the ones that quit along the way that we never hear about because they're no longer in business and they're no, no longer doing their work. So to me, an entrepreneur is somebody who's very persistent. Yeah, that's a characteristic. I think more importantly, what what inspires somebody to become an entrepreneur is because they see a problem, and they see a solution. Right. And and I honestly I I think of you as as the perfect example because <laughs> I remember you were a student in the program. Yeah. You know, these, these services that help you find jobs, they're horrible. Their user interfaces are ugly. And, and I, and I didn't work. Like, didn't yeah. Work. You said there's a way better way to do this. And then that's what you did. Like, you know, so you saw that problem. You said, well, I can solve that. Yeah. So I think at its core, that's truly what an entrepreneur is. Well, I mean, like I wanted to bring up this story because it, it's something that is, is so personal to me because I think a lot of people, has like this pers like perspective of an entrepreneur and, and you talk about like it's a big word right it's, it's something that has like so many um like there's so many things around it that people expect kind of like is, they have like this this set framework of what an entrepreneur is and and even even myself i was like t saying t telling you in the car i was like i don't i'm not i'm not an entrepreneur i don't see myself as an entrepreneur and and because like 
as, as along with a lot of people, we were just thinking, you know, that an entrepreneur, you know, is, it's like, it's just this typical person has always been, you know, innovative, always wanted to like, I'm going to start my own business. Or like, I, I started selling ice cream at the beach when I was like, you know, 12, 14 years old. And that's great. But I never, like, I was never there. And I think there's a lot of people that, you know, have never been in that sort of bubble, but then there's this, you know, ID or concept or problem that people see. And what really stuck to me uh, was that sort of like the way where you, of course, talking about persistent, but that an entrepreneur is someone that, you know, sees that problem, but actually does something about it. And we were all talking about it in the car. Like we were talking about it later as well. And like, everybody saw the problem, but nobody was really doing anything about it. And I said like, okay, I'm going to be the one to do it. And I think, that's where the persist persistent card comes in, I guess, where you have to say that, okay, I'm going to be the one doing it. And then you keep doing it until you make it happen. And, and that, that's quite a journey, but I, I really appreciate the, the kind words and letting you know that, 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 that conversation alongside with, of course, like all of our, all of our other is, it was very important for me for just kind of like justifying what an entrepreneur was and sort of like me also standing behind that and, and, probably kind of like saying like I'm a, I am an entrepreneur like because this is what it is and I can relate to that and and because you see this a lot in the startup world and I think a lot of people are I don't know I wouldn't say afraid but it's sort of like that impression that in order to be a successful entrepreneur you almost have to be a serial entrepreneur and you have to have done this and you have to have sold the company you have to them but everyone starts at zero you know like we have had people comparing us to linkedin and i said like well they started at zero users too you know you got to start somewhere and it takes time you know and then it's about you know taking that step but first step for me was sort of like vouching and, and and being clear but okay i i am an entrepreneur and people can realizing that that it's not just that typical impression that, that a lot of people had and, and that means a lot to me well it was fantastic i love having these conversations and like i, I said earlier I, I it's always fantastic when somebody comes back you know even a couple years later and man i remember one person came back i don't know two three years later just said i had this idea what can we do? You know, and we had a fantastic conversation and guess what? She's got a really successful company now. And so, you know, sometimes it's just um, having those conversations with somebody that can help inspire you. And sometimes that's all we need is that little inspiration or that little push to yep. realize that we can absolutely do it. But like I said, it's that, it's that unfailing uh, persistence. And I think that's just the best word. I mean, I will say being an entrepreneur is hard. Like you are making decisions every day and and you're just like, oh, that's fine. I can make decisions. No, 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 really. If you've never been an entrepreneur, you don't realize the enormous number of decisions you're making every day. And every single one of them, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if this is the right thing. Of course, you don't know it's the right thing because you've never done it before. And so it's the very first time you're having to decide. I mean, it could be as simple as like, what color should I choose for my company's logo? Or what should my company's logo look like? To how am I funding this business? To where should I invest my um my first marketing budget or, you know, what's my first product going to look like, or how much should I invest in that first product? Or should I take this investment or should I take that investment? I mean, the, the, the gamut of decisions is, is mind boggling. And so that's, I mean, that's actually, I think a lot of reasons why people don't persist. It's really hard. It's really hard to constantly be in a situation of complete unknown. And then to be making these decisions as if, you know, exactly that that's the right thing that's going to take you to the next best space. Right. And 
reality is business is always unknown. Uh, but when it's all on you as an entrepreneur, it can be super stressful. And so the ones that persist are the ones that can handle that pressure and that stress and the ones that are ultimately going to be successful. So right now, Ola Martin, that looks like you. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, I mean, like we're, we're I mean, like I, I, I'll say this, though, that I could never have done this alone, you know, and I think that's a very key lesson. And I'm so glad to have so many great people around me. Uh, you know, like foreign professors, you know, like and, and partners and, and, and the team and advisors, right, that helping you making those decisions. But of course, at the end of the day, you have to, you know, and I think like that's why I wanted to bring up the foundation. And I know you talk a lot about that in terms of the program, right, and sort of like how you build that. And, and we always say this, you know, that I think a lot of the reasons why we're seeing what we're doing in, in terms of the decisions that we're making is that make sure that you build that solid foundation because that's going to make the decisions that you make a lot easier and i always tend to say this as well that because people are like oh what is your most hardest challenges that you're doing now and i said i love the day the early days when all i was focusing up was how I, the logo was going to look like that was that was nice you know that was that was some nice days when when that was my biggest challenge you know but uh it's part of the growth, right? I mean, like when, when things are happening and, and the business are moving forward, like you will get harder decisions and the bigger you become, the more challenging, more challenges you will face. And so, yes, it's hard, but the, the harder it becomes sort of like the better it gets, you know, it's kind of like that, uh, that weird, weird situation there when it's, when it's, you want it to be harder, you want it to be harder and then you can continue to grow because it means you're probably going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of stuff that you learn. I mean, like we're literally in the middle of the funding, funding process right now. And, and there's so much new stuff there that I no idea like existed. And, and I'm just like, like, I'm just soaking everything in. Right. And, and just, and, and even in that sense, like, I'm glad I have people around me that, that knows this, you know, that, that have been through this journey and they can say, okay, this is some of the tips that we would provide. But at the end of the day, you have to make that decision. And that's, that's what it comes down to. And I know mm -hmm. we're going to do a lot of mistakes, uh, hopefully not as many big ones, but, uh, right. but, uh, but it's about vouching for the, the decisions that you do. And that's where I think the foundation comes in as a very key element. Definitely. Yeah. And you're right. You're always going to make mistakes. And that's the other thing that I think that that allows a successful entrepreneur to keep going is to allow themselves to, to know that it's okay to make mistakes because there will always be decisions where you look back, you're like, oh, we should have done it the other way. But, you know, they always say hindsight is, is 2020. And, <laughs> you know, as, as a decision maker, you don't you don't have that privilege. We don't have a crystal ball. So we do the best with what we have. And and go forward from there. And, and I love that you, you're absolutely right what you just said, which is now that the decisions are harder, it's actually better because now you know you're in a, in a much more successful place. Like you're in a yeah. bigger place. That's why the decisions are harder. So that's a great sign. That's a perfect sign. <laughs> yeah, it's that, uh, it's that very almost like weird feeling where, where I think like people are like, oh, why is this getting hard? But then you just have to realize, well, if it's a lot harder, it just means you're going in the right direction. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's part of the journey. But I, I think that, that, that kind of like makes us into the final question here, which I think it's, I guess, wrapping all the stuff that we talked about into like a final, <laughs> final, I guess, key, key tips and advice. But if you wanted to, uh, I, I guess we'll, we'll separate the questions a little bit and, and sort of like from, from first angle, 
looking into a little bit the crystal ball that you that you have uh, from your perspective i guess what what tips do you have for students out there sort of like right now in the space that are trying to break into the industry and and then secondly how can the program the usf sport management program help them on their path so i think there's three things that i would recommend the first is to build a skill set and it can be any skill set that you want, preferably something that you're really good at and something that you really want to do. And what I mean by that is companies hire in silos. When they need somebody in the marketing department, the marketing department is hiring somebody to do marketing. And when they need somebody to do finance, the finance department is hiring somebody to do finance. Now, there's some companies that are organized differently, but for the most part, every single company that you're going to work for is organized that way in functional silos. Mm you need to start building a skill set for either marketing or for finance or for event operations or whatever it happens to be that your passion is or that wherever you want to be. Um, so get experience in that. So that's the second thing. Start getting experience and that can be volunteering. It can be working, but you need to start showing that you have work experience where you're using that skill set. And so right. that's continue to allow you to obviously build and develop that skill set. And then the third thing is to talk to people. And I know that sounds maybe simplistic, but one, it starts to develop your confidence in the sport industry as one and in business as a whole, as one where you need to communicate with other people. You need to be willing to just pick up a phone or shoot off an email and not be afraid to do it. And the more you talk to people, the better you get at doing that, just building up those, those professional communication skills. But two, talking to people gives you access. It gives you access to people who are decision makers, who may be hiring somebody in the future, it, I will tell you that the sport industry is small. Uh, it, it really is. Whatever part of the industry you decide to go in, 50% of the people are going to know each other or more. Like everybody is going to be connected at some level. And so uh, the more you know those people, the better the opportunities are for you to eventually get a job or to, to move to a better company that you want to be in. But just knowing everyone builds your professional network and allows you uh, so many more opportunities later on. 100%. No, I think, I mean, like, I, I, I say this a lot too, is that um, all the informational interviews that I did during the program, like, without me obviously thinking about it, but but because uh, I was like, okay, yeah, it's good for me to sort of like expand that network and, and gaining that knowledge and insights, then once I started the company, I sort of like knew all, knew all these kind of people that I could now come back to and say, hey, I have this project that I'm working on. I want to hear your thoughts, you know, and that's only created a lot of opportunities. I said, I would not be where I am today without that. Like mm -hmm. that was part of the foundation and it's, it's extremely important. And I guess like, if you want to like highlight a little bit on like the program itself and how you guys are focusing on that, I think would be really, really nice to sort of like wrap things up with. Well, I think you just, yeah, you just illustrated it as well, but that's exactly what we ask our students to do. So we provide a, an enormous number of opportunities, job postings, internship postings that people can get experience. Uh, we challenge you to build your own skill set just because everyone is going to have their own unique passion and, and that's, you know, that's up to you. Uh, but certainly the classwork that you're taking is going to help you build those skill sets. You can always go additional certifications and all these other things. 
And then, of course, the talking to people. That's what the program provides as well. Not only frameworks for doing these informational interviews like you talked about, but the access sometimes. So our alumni network is very deep and very broad. And so the connections, when you just start thinking about those trees of connectivity, you know, our, our network can really get a lot of access to a lot of people that you want to have in your network, people that you want to talk to, people that you want to be part of your professional uh, circle. And, yeah. and that's a, a really powerful tool that, uh, that certainly that we offer. And I mean, like from my personal side too of, of, of the program, I think, you know, um, and, and speaking of that, sort of like alumni network, and I, I know like I was a little bit worried about that in the beginning because I was, you know, Norwegian coming to like, you know, different country and, and all this stuff. And, and what I really enjoyed is sort of like, it was a very open alumni, you know, it's, it was sort of like, it didn't matter that I was like from Norway or wherever it was. It was just like, okay, you're, oh, you're a USF sport management student or like an alumni, happy to talk, right? So it's sort of like that you know, very helpful, you know, mindset. And I think that goes back to like how you guys are, you know, focusing on this during the program too, that, you know, you're here to help each other. And, and again, like, I can't emphasize this enough to like, you know, with, with Rasher and with the thesis, like me having the opportunity to do my my business plan, you know, for Sporting Global on it, that, I, that made like, you know, pretty much a lot of the foundation that, we can sit on today so i'm extremely grateful for that flexi flexibility for that you know openness and community to sort of like start building it your journey you know wherever that is is taking you and having you guys around that to support you know wherever that angle is and opening those doors is it's been an extremely key factor i think and will be a very key factor moving forward as well because there's there's not only that you know american community it's it's a global community of, of sport management students that are are across the world and i always think it's super cool as well when i get like those informational interview requests from like some of your current students and i'm like whoa cool i'm being <laughs> being taught about so i'm more than happy to help on that side and it, it's always fun giving back so it, i know how important it was for me and then i think that's mm -hmm that's a lot of the mindset that, that, that people bring bring with and what is important in, in that program for sure. Absolutely, you know, it's it's really about paying it forward. And I always tell people, you know, when we, when we accept a student into our program, we're choosing them, we're wanting them to be a part of their team. There is something extraordinary about them already. And we help develop them into something even more extraordinary. And when they graduate, we are so thrilled to have them, you know, as this permanent part of our alumni community. And I know, we just know that they're going to be willing to give back because that's the kind of person that we selected. We, we knew that they were that kind of person when we brought them in. And, and so we, we just absolutely love the community that we've developed and, and can't wait to, you know, continue growing it every single year with more and more students. Absolutely. Uh, well, well, with that, Nola, I think I would like like to thank you so much you know for taking the time being part of the podcast sharing your insights and and your story i think it was a pleasure having you here and then, like i said thank you so much for for taking the time oh it was great being here thanks so much for inviting me back absolutely nola and and to wrap it up i gotta teach you some norwegian okay let's do it yeah so with every video we do we always finish with visnakkes visnakkes there you go, which means see you later in Norwegian. So now you <laughs> now you know some Norwegian as well. Vis <laughs> nakes! Vis nakes! <laughs>